Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 425. You might have noticed the lack of decimal points in your feed for the first time in a month. That's because we're all four here to do one of our quarter quell episodes. Please clap. It only took us two months after <laughs> exactly. exactly. We supposed to have done it. Blame, blame my two-month-old daughter. I will. I will. Hold a grudge against her for the rest of her goddamn life. Mm-hmm. So way back in uh, the fall or late summer of 2011, uh, we hit episode 25 of our first podcast and uh, started this tradition called Quarter Quells. These are great starter episodes to meet us. We will each be bringing a movie for discussion, and they usually have to do with the theme. That's how most Quarter Quells go. But if you go to fightingofthewarm.com and you see up there in our top menu, we have a little button for Quarter Quells you could push. That will link you to all of them. There's uh, stuff like movies for the moment, movies we wanted to be when we grow up, movies that represent what we want in America, and then our call-in shows, which are a little less structured, uh, but very much fun. This time, for episode 425, we have all picked movies that we went on <laughs> dates to go see. Uh, I don't... That, that means that there's not a lot... Uh, really theming these movies, except they're all in the same bunch of years uh, where we, all four of us, were actively dating. Uh, well, so, none, none, of us, none of us interpreted the assignment as like a date we went on with our current no, life No, partner. no, that, that no we absolutely immediately, not. immediately went back to our teenage years. Well, yeah, the stories uh, aren't as good, I guess, with yeah. the yeah, we yeah, a babysitter, with. and we went to the Alamo Draft House, <laughs> and we sat there for two hours, and then we went home. And then we I saw Hugo for the third time. <laughs> I'm so excited to show it to my future wife. <laughs> See, that's a fine story. So yeah, spoilers, I guess it's not going to be Hugo. Nobody picked Hugo. All right. Uh, <laughs> Let's, uh, without any further ado, kick it off. We're going to go from the earliest movie to the latest movie, which means Katie Rich takes us back to November 25th, 1998 with her pick. Katie, what did you what are you bringing to the table for this quarter? Well, I would like to correct the record because I have in my hands my diary from uh, an entry from December 19th, 1998. Uh, oh. And so I think a few days earlier than that was when I saw the film Home Fries, which I have had in my mind as the title of a movie I went to see on a what I think is classic for ninth grade, which is a group date. Uh, and I found from the records, I knew I was there with a boy named Tim, who was my first ever boyfriend, who I had like at that point, like just started to like hold hands in public settings with. And that was the extent of how that was relationship. And I'm actually be very interested to hear how all of your high school dating experiences were because mine were all oh, you're gonna. pretty chaste. Especially yeah. uh, in as of ninth grade, and uh, we so I've got the I've got the historical. I don't. I remember that we had been on the date. I remembered that I thought the movie was stupid. 
I remembered that Drew Barrymore was pregnant and Luke Wilson was in it. I think that's mostly from the poster. Like, I don't think I remembered any other information from what happened in this movie. Do you remember and choosing so pull- the movie? Do you remember why this no. was a movie for you And guys? you know, I pulled up, I went to look, and actually I'm going to do this uh, live because I had oh, looked wow. up, there I figured we saw it like early in December and I was like, why did we see that? As opposed to whatever else was open at that point. And I I think I saw, I think I might have seen A Bug's Life also in a group date in that period. Like, that's another movie from around then that I feel like we would have all gone to see. Um, I'm looking at the weekend of, like, December 11th. Like, that's the weekend that Star Trek Insurrection opened. I was never going to see that. Um, Jack Frost (laughs) was open. Like, we could have gone to Enemy of the State. We could have gone to The Waterboy, but I'm betting, like, everyone had already seen The Waterboy because that one was everywhere. My best guess is it was playing at the time that we had. Like, that was how we would go see movies as packs of teenagers who couldn't drive yet. So, like, this is someone's parent driving all of us to go see Home Fries. Just a virgin, very literally, all of those things. a big assumption. <laughs> yeah, no, I've well, already told that, Judy Tunner it was my ninth grade day. It was like just holding hands with someone for the first time. Yeah, this, so this is a real was, holding right, hands. She was holding hands with yeah. yeah. her date. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, yeah, still a virgin who couldn't drive. Um, so my entry from December 19th, 1998, I saw Home Fries a few days earlier. Uh, we'd gone on a hayride at a Christmas tree farm, uh, which is <laughs> some real like South Carolina one. shit right there. Uh, it was only about 9.30 when it ended, so we decided to go see Home Fries. Ashley and Alan, this is another uh, pair of like band diary. geeks. It I'm reading directly clear. from the diary right now. Uh, it was just Teresa, Justin, Beverly, Tim, and me. The movie was really stupid, and this cop kept eyeing us, so it wasn't wonderful. I have no memory of this cop. I have no idea you why the there was a cop at the movie. I don't know. Okay. Bear, like, does this sound like something? If you're in a group of your friends, you're in ninth grade, you're just like, oh shit, guys, we're about to get yeah. so much trouble. Like, there's yeah. a cop oh, looking at us. Just like, wait until my story. Yeah. <laughs> you, no. you may literally have gotten arrested by a cop oh. in a screening <laughs> of your choice. Um, so that was what I remembered about Home Fries. I remember that I saw it. I remember I didn't like it very much. This was a period, like 1998, if I go look at like the box office mojo from that year, I saw almost every movie that opened in 1998. You guys might be in the same boat. Like, that is just the period of my life where I just went to the movies. Like, whatever bullshit was playing. Um, And I had forgotten that this was such a big year for Drew Barrymore. Like, The Wedding Singer came out in February. I remember Mm -hmm. going to see that with a bunch of my friends. Ever After came out that summer. I remember going to see that with a bunch Mm -hmm. of my friends. And then Home Fries is like... The end of this banner run for her, which then I think the following spring, Never Been Kissed comes out. So it's like this dip in this like run of hits she has that everyone kind of agreed to forget ever happened. And even (laughs) though I saw it on this very memorable date with all of these people who I just named, um, I didn't remember anything to the point that in the opening five minutes when there is an attack helicopter, I was like, what? (laughs) There's a helicopter in this movie? No memory whatsoever. Um, And I certainly didn't know at the time until I looked on Wikipedia that this is a script written by Vince Gilligan. Yeah, Breaking Bad fame. As his NYU film class project. Um, and they which let, is him, really, they let yeah. him make more things. I think Wild, Wilder Napalm was his first movie, which yeah. gro- which starred uh, Dennis Quaid and Arliss Howard and grossed $84,000. Was mm, This made more than more, that. Yeah, I, I, somehow. Uh, was maybe the movie <laughs> that was part of his NYU program. I don't know. I mean, it seems like he would, uh, maybe he went to grad school several years after having a screenplay made into a movie. I don't know. I mean, my understanding of how it came about is uh, 1998 uh, is peak X-Files. And so I imagine mm-hmm. this with all the X-Files executive producers like, you got any scripts? 
Ms. Gilligan's like, well, actually, I got this idea I had when I was <laughs> working at NYU. Can I just say that, uh, you know, I I've seen several movies in my day. And there <laughs> are... Thank you. Uh, and I've actually seen several movies today, if we're really uh, getting into the nitty gritty. But um, I... There are parts of Home Fries that left me feeling like it is the single strangest film I've ever seen in my entire it, life. It, it could be. It could it's very well Vince be. Gilligan to like, this is a rom-com, but it's definitely a Vince Gilligan movie. It is smashing together two genres. It has I, I that think, kind of thriller aspect. It is a weird Just two genres? I, I mean, I can allow you that, but I think if anyone... Uh, only knew Vince Gilligan's work from, as I did going into this, from, you know, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and to a lesser extent, The X-Files. Uh, what you just said would be uh, perversely appetizing. And you'd say, oh, I should check that out. And that yeah, would be a mistake. You shouldn't. <laughs> it has mm -hmm. a slower tone than the other projects uh, he's worked on. It's a bit uh, lugubrious. Well, it's, it has uh, this, like, Coen Brothers 90s vibe right where it's like we're gonna do like dark comedy and like the heart of america and like it proves that that's really hard to do like it you cannot string all of those things together unless you really know what you're doing and this movie has like Catherine o'hara is like the lady macbeth mother who like okay, kind of orchestrated really this helicopter okay, she's, she's really funny in this movie she, no, no i'm sorry <laughs> there is there is one laugh in this movie as far as i'm concerned it does come from her when she is talking about which of her two sons she loves more and says to Gary Busey, or Gary Busey, Jake, Jake Busey. Busey. Yeah, she's like, it was only, it's only a little bit that she loves <laughs> yep. Luke Wilson more. Uh, but, uh, I, I mean, can, can we just, can I just walk us through the first five minutes of this movie to yes, just give a sense of how tragic it is? Because no so, one will watch it's, this. The it's going to sound like it's the first 30 minutes of the movie, but it's not. It, it ain't. Uh, the movie opens with uh, a very familiar actor who, is it Daryl Mitchell? No, that's not his name. Who Daryl Mitchell is the other guy. Uh, who, who is it? Lanny Fl I'm just looking at the Wikipedia name. No, it's, it's uh, Daryl Mitchell who's working at the burger joint? No, 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 no. no. I'm trying to think no, you're talking of... about the, um, the guy who dies yeah. in yeah, five yeah. minutes. Um, uh, is it Lanny Flaherty? Maybe whatever. Uh, he's, um, he's, <laughs> Chris, uh, Chris Ellis. Fine. Chris I Ellis. Is I, I just, I just can't mm. get into Chris it. Chris Ellis, because I think but, Tom Hanks okay. loves Chris Ellis, and Chris it's, Ellis was in that thing you do. It's in the middle of fucking nowhere. He's going out late one night to the oh yeah fucking Burger Mart or whatever it's called. Burger Burger Matic. Burger Matic to visit his mistress Drew Barrymore, who is the drive-through cashier and is pregnant, and he is telling her that he left his wife um and and she's supposed to be excited <laughs> about this and then he like drives away with his burger and suddenly in the middle of the road an attack helicopter <laughs> lands in front of him uh, kicking mm -hmm. up a cyclone of dust everywhere and he is very scared obviously and he runs away and there's a lot of chatter from the pilots of the helicopter that makes absolutely no sense at the moment and every single line of dialogue only confused me further and then eventually he like sits on a park bench gets out of his car sits on a park bench and the helicopter points its machine gun at him. Uh, the machine gun, which is a plot point several times over in this movie, and begins firing what we later learn to be massive blanks. Uh, but he is so scared of the, the, the sound, as you would be, that he has a fatal heart attack. We learn in the well, following sitting in scene, an outdoor chapel and a yes. bunch of benches. And then yes. the cops find him later, yes. uh, rigor mortis style, and is taking pictures with his dead corpse. Yeah, okay. still sitting up straight. All right. We learned in the following scene that the two pilots mm -hmm. of the attack helicopter are his step sons, 
who were instructed by their mother to, and they're also, by the way, National Guard reservists who have Which is access. why they can just like swing yeah. around in a helicopter whenever they feel yeah. like it. They have, because uh, John Hawks grants them year long access to this attack helicopter. Uh, so they just like. Love seeing John Hawks show up like an hour yeah. into this movie. Yeah. That was great. Uh, you'll get a lot of that in this episode. But he, not, not John Hawks in particular, but as uh, <laughs> showing up. actors. He'll be on the podcast a little later. <laughs> Hop it up. Yeah. Act, uh, actors who are underachieving to a great degrees. Um, and. They they took the helicopter for a joyride with the intention of scaring their stepfather, just scaring the shit out of him. And the fact that he has actually that they've actually scared him to death becomes a huge problem because they're so concerned. Oh right, there's another fucking element where they know mm-hmm. that someone heard what was happening oh, right. via their, uh, their, radio waves. Their chatter on the helicopter was coming through at Bergamatic, so they're right. worried. The only, seems they're like a- they're they way real military concern. That the like only that just... person, the <laughs> only person who could have heard this, because they're in the middle of nowhere, was Drew Barrymore, who was manning the drive-in station at the Burgermatic. And so Luke Wilson is one of the, the the kinder, more sensitive of the two brothers, obviously, because his other brother is Jake fucking Busey, decides <laughs> to get a job at the Burgermatic and figure out Infiltrate. if she is was able to sort of like cotton on to what she had heard. Now. The idea of a movie where someone has committed a crime and then poses as somebody else in order to get close to people who may have evidence of that they committed this crime is not nothing wrong of. with it. Bad um, rock it is, of uh, American cinema. Yeah, it's not necessarily that sweaty. This movie decides to take the most <laughs> contrived approach imaginable to that otherwise simple premise. Uh, and by the time the movie's 10 minutes old, I was like, what the fuck is this? And, you know, it's like never amusing enough to justify all of that flop sweat. Um, and it, it's generally just like profoundly bad and like weird. So- <laughs> had any of you ever seen it before no, I, I made you watch I, it? I, I, I had. I had. I knew I, the only thing I remembered about it is that it ends with a showdown with an attack helicopter. So I was... Comes full You're slowly prepared. looking forward to, uh, yeah. I and then in the middle though, of it, we get a hostage situation at the Burgomatic that Shelley Duvall is in and her oh husband. Yeah, There's, Shelley yeah, Duvall is in this movie. movie. This is the last thing I've seen, last actual movie I've seen Shelley Duvall She in, was in like three and, or four other movies playing small roles um, after this, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, that scene when this guy, I mean, first of all, there's a children's birthday party being hosted at the Burgomatic, right? And sure. then cut to a guy you see from the neck down walking in with a long rifle. Uh-huh. And this is in a, uh, a comedy. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think this is an extremely 90s core movie. Uh, I would argue far more 90s core than any of the other movies that we're going to discuss on this episode. It's also, I mean, some of the movies we're discussing on this episode were not released in the 90s, so fair play. But um, the, you know, the tone is very post-Pulp Fiction very twangy, yeah. very. Well, I would uh, say you know, Vince Gilligan is not. Ri- so many movies of the '90s were ripping off Pulp Fiction and Tarantino. At least he's going to the Raising Arizona. Well, I think he's sure, sure, more Cohen-y here. It, so it, here's it, and it's yeah, here's anyway. the, the, and a little bit of backup. Uh, he wrote Home Fries at NYU. It won the Virginia Governor's Screenwriting Award. In, like the state of Virginia, I guess, as in, a screenwriting award. <laughs> As they should. Okay. Sure. I mean, he, 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 you know, is from Virginia, so that would okay. make sense that he could enter it. 
Uh, and one of the judges of that competition was a man named Mark Johnson, wow. whose name you should mark right now. <laughs> Don't forget that one. <laughs> uh, he went on to produce uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and Home Fries in 1998 because he remembered Vince Gilligan and said he was one of the most imaginative writers well, he'd ever read. I'm pretty sure Mark produced uh, Wilder Napalm as well. He's produced everything Vince has done. Yes, this is where so he, they. He, so they he made a good bet in the nineties. He made he a bet in the nineties, and it's paid off. Yeah, nineteen eighty nine. He made a bet in nineteen. By then, he had won Best Picture Oscar for Rain Man. So Mark Johnson was the shit in in the nineties, and he had also produced Galaxy Quest for Parasot, who then made this movie. Uh-huh. He's riding high uh, going yeah. into okay. Home Fries. Okay. <laughs> I, I I I just had a bizarre flashback memory where I was like, I know the name Mark Johnson. Uh, and um, I, I didn't know why. There are not many producers' names that I can recall off the top of my dome, and I remembered now because I have an indexical catalog in my head of every compliment I've ever received. There have only been seven of them. It's very easy to keep track. <laughs> um, and I remember I got an email. I got an email on December 6, 20... Oh, no, it expires December 6, 2023. I received it on December 6, 2022 at 8.53 p.m. from Mark Johnson, uh, wow. And it is a two sentence email. I won't read the whole thing, but it's uh, he was congratulating me for an award I won and saying that he enjoyed my film criticism. So that's great. So, you know, he, if he's I, listening to this podcast, I Mark, think, I'm sorry. I think the time has come <laughs> for us to reevaluate Home Fries. Uh, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe a masterpiece that has finally achieved the cult status that's long deserved. Who could say? Oh, it man. has the wackiest. Score that I've heard a long time. Rachel Rachel Portman, Rachel Porton, who's, fucking who's a great composer, but she's uh-huh. doing like cartoon music in this wacky ass film. What a strange, what a, what a strange mix. But we got we got Luke Wilson. He's trying to play it straight. He's trying to be a normal actor. Also, and take this mark that name down. Also, as it turns out, <laughs> yeah, very um, weird. Mark not... Mark Johnson, very loyal person. <laughs> he's not bad in this movie. Like, there's not like no one's really bad in it it's everything think around Wilson them and drew barrymore have chemistry are they like no i don't think hot together? i don't was think drew barrymore movie? i don't think drew barrymore is a real person and like i was looking i think she was filming this around when scream came out and so she had been in driving uh not driving cars with boys um boys on the side in 95 scream comes out in 96 and i think it's like pretty solidly the start of her big comeback from being a child actor so i'm imagining her being on the set of this movie in Texas, Scream comes out and she's like, shit, I'm making this nonsense. I'm going to have a huge year and I got to finish making home fries. Because uh, she's like not really the main character. Like she's on the front of the poster, but there, she's there not the most important part. The thing that Vince Gilligan tries that sort of Cohen-y that doesn't work uh, in home fries, I think here is sort of like the melding of uh, stereotype as character into a like super plot where it's like, if you're watching raising Arizona, those performances still allow you to get a character. And I think the opening voiceover does a lot of help uh, to just be like, I'm on the side of these rap scallions. This mm-hmm. movie doesn't have that. And the plot is so dense right from the beginning that every time you meet somebody, you have to like immediately know their stereotype. And then you expect that character to evolve and it kind of doesn't. The situation evolves. The characters stay almost exactly the same until Luke Wilson has a has a change of heart, falls in love with his uh, person who's having his step 
brother. His Wait, brother. This is his actually one of the funny bits in the movie. Toward the end, when she's finally giving birth, I don't know if we made this clear that the reason Drew Barrymore is pregnant is because her, her the affair, the man who dies at the beginning, Luke Wilson's father, impregnated her. So he or stepfather. Oh, it, stepfather. He's the stepfather. All right. So he's the yeah. stepson, and this is his half brother. And or uh, uh, yes, <laughs> and he, and he goes back and forth. Uh, like, sounds fine. You're my. You'll be my son or brother or son brother. Um, I think that's that's like. That's a good goof. Yeah, that that part's okay. Yeah, the stupid stuff. Uh, right at the you mean right at the end, the movie gets good. Yeah, the the, the literal very time. Like the I, last I have scene of the, the last movie. five minutes where they're in the hospital. Uh, damn, you're right. Not I just great. I'm trying. I, mean, not a great movie. I I I know from the record that I thought this movie was stupid. I just cannot imagine how I wrapped my head around this when I was. 14 and went to see it at the movie theater other than that like I didn't pay that much attention to it again the romantic clear, scene where they go to a Lamaze class they go to Luke a Lamaze Wilson class there's so much I can relate to Barrymore and her pregnant body <laughs> in a very dreamlike sequence where he gets to feel the female touch mm. yeah Luke mm. Wilson was in a weird place in this I mean Luke Wilson it was maybe never not in a weird place as lots like of people a in a weird place I will say star Vince Gilligan's uh, understanding of how the military works has evolved. Uh, that that's at least pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, they can't just take a helicopter and just take a helicopter. They want. <laughs> it was, it's like nobody knew. First of all, whoever made those high caliber blanks, why do they have those around active military site? Is it so you could like train or it's like I don't I don't understand. There's a lot of yes, a lot of things about. I have a lot of questions about how the military works that Home Fries plants in me doesn't answer. But apparently, time, you know, by the time this movie came out, he had been on an episode of X-Files. It all comes back to X-Files. And he had also been in Scream 2. They were filming this movie when Scream 1 came out and Scream 2 had already come out a year before Home Fries. <laughs> they made those movies fast. The 90s. It was a incestuous twist of Mark Johnson's players. <laughs> so we would tell no one to see Home Fries, right? Like, this is not a curio. Well, I think the real question... If it was, Streaming that, somewhere, I would say maybe yeah, that's true. you know watch the first fifteen minutes, but not a yeah. rental, not a rental. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Katie, the the important question is, it didn't work out for you and Tim. I guess no, you wouldn't attribute no, it to nothing, home fries. What happened? No, I would not. I would not blame home. So like we were in band together and we dated for like this is like when we had first like gotten together and we dated for like all of the spring of my freshman year and then by the end of the school year like I don't know. Yeah, like, as far as I like high school, it's kind of kind of like a moot. It's weird because like we really continue to like be in each other's orbit all the time. But I think it just became very like, I don't know, you get kind of bored when you're that age and you're like not in a real relationship because you're just like seeing each other in school. I bet that like 90% of high school breakups now, maybe even more, occur over text. Oh, yeah. Not even text. uh, (laughs) Like snap. The odds. Whatever. And like, I may not remember this because I may have like acted badly because I feel like I often just like ran away from people rather than avoid conflict. The odds that we broke up over AOL and Messenger are not zero. I might have oh, to go yeah. consult the record. Sure. I know. I'm not. Pr- I'm not proud of it. Uh, if any, Tim, if you're listening, I'm sorry. You deserved better. He's doing fine. Uh, he's like married with kids. <laughs> like, like it all worked out well for everybody. Oh, I didn't know we we're gonna have to have updates that detailed. I don't, I don't I know. I mean, about uh, is it the answer? Like, I hope that the follow up to all of these is the other person turned out fine and is now married to somebody else or in a happy, <laughs> fulfilling relationship. That's, the other that's person the goal. never left actually, the theater. Actually, I mean, <laughs> just just to drop some. Uh, a hint for later, um, I or tease for later. I don't know what happened to my person. You so. left, oh, left them in the theater and never saw no. them again. 
Yeah. So I mean, Home Fries really epitomizes the movies I went to see with my friends because there was nothing else to do uh, of that period. There were a lot of those. So don't don't see it. And now we move on to the Banner Cinema Year 1999, where South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut was in theaters. Is and that a before... reference to something? Is it a double entendre? I it's remember a, I was dating. It was like the Holding Hands in movie theaters. <laughs> oh, man. I could not have, never would have figured that out. Oh, boy. Here we go. Uh, good start. Yeah. 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 Good. Great start. Um, I, I swear that it's not going to also end with a penis. That I, I'm not. It's still 1999. I'm 15. I can't drive, <laughs> uh, but I do go to the movies very often. And my parents have accepted me dating as long as I'm in a public place or in one of the houses. Either my yeah, how do you broach this? The subject? parents can see me. Was like dating always on the table for everybody. Uh, Katie, were you just allowed um, to date also? Yeah, because oh, yeah. I was again. I was like, I don't. I, did, I never had anything resembling a serious relationship that my parents would have banned. So it was like mostly me and my friends going out and one of them I was holding hands with. Like that's <laughs> gotcha, about as far as, right. this is about as much as was happening then. This wasn't then. a public announcement. You weren't getting yeah. prom, prom-posed to later. Uh, <laughs> no, that's another thing that uh, is happening now in teenage relationships that I'm glad I missed out on. Oh, yeah. Okay, Dave, we're about to you. Oh, yeah. I, I guess I started dating in like early middle school and it kind of happened by accident where I was like hanging out with girls solo to do homework and they asked if they we i wanted to be boyfriend girlfriend and i was like sure and then i told my parents <laughs> and then they would come and pick me up at like very specific times from the house uh, that i was visiting and i kept being like kevin who's my brother i'm like kevin gets to you know like hang out and do stuff and just ride his bike home whenever he wants why can't i do that and i very specifically remember my mom saying we're not afraid Kevin's going to jump anyone's bones. And so I think <laughs> that was my introduction to the phrase jumping someone's bones. And, wow. Uh, when I became, uh, I guess, uh, a young man in my parents' minds. Uh, it was pretty early on in middle school. But this is... Um, and Kevin, Kevin earned their trust, right? He didn't, he, he didn't do anything to make them worry. Yeah, they, they either, he either earned their trust or they saw that he was maybe developing a different sexuality than me uh and i was uh, he wasn't gonna get anyone pregnant at the very least exactly uh and so um the the game with south park bigger longer and uncut is the basis of the entire movie was sort of like the meta argument for south park at the time it's a 90s tv show of foul-mouthed little kids and you know who loves watching it other little kids i started watching it pretty early on in middle school uh, my friend's dad was working at the time as uh, one of the people who, for online cable services, would uh, rate the episodes along with the description provided by the broadcasting network. So I actually got the first four episodes of 
South Park on screener VHSs because he passed them wow. on. He's like, I think you're, awesome. I think you're really gonna like this. Wow! And you were forever changed. Uh, well, I watched the entire first season of South Park. I really liked it. They were from University of Colorado, uh, and uh, the Matt Parker and Trey Sto- Trey Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creators. And um, so I was very big fan of South Park. Uh, my parents knew it. Uh, my neighbor's parents knew it. And they had two kids, uh, two boys. Our family had two boys. The four of us would hang out, do things in the summer, looking for something to do. We knew South Park was coming out. But because the nature of South Park being a dirty language movie, uh, rather than something like violence, they got a R rating. Obviously, the title is a reference to a penis that I know my parents got immediately. Obviously, but, uh, you know, Katie didn't get that. I was being... <laughs> Clever and sarcastic. It's a level of humor you might really? not be able to know oh, because all the South Park you were watching. Uh, in the I'm, I'm dumb now. <laughs> <laughs> so the first time we saw South Park, it was four dudes and uh, their dad was our chaperone, bought the tickets, watched it with us. He reported back to the parent group. This is fine. It's actually really funny. And so from then on, if I got driven to the theater and wanted to see South Park for any reason, just to hang out in the theater, uh, the whoever, whatever parent was driving me and dropping me off would also buy however many R-rated tickets that we needed, and then we would be able to go in. This come is a back. cool group of parents. Yeah, they the opposite, well done, guys. This is the opposite of my life, but yeah, it's it exciting. <laughs> I feel like I'm still living vicariously. <laughs> So, uh, by some miracle, I was, uh, con- I convinced them that the theater was a public enough, uh, space, uh, for me to go on a date with the person who I was then dating. Her name was Chelsea. I'm not going to use her last name because I looked it up, but she's Ready. still using it. Oh, <laughs> oh uh, yeah, no, her name was Chelsea. Um, and, uh, the reason I wanted to specifically go to South Park and the reason I wanted to go to a different theater that was about 30 minutes more away than the ones that was in my hometown was because this new AMC theater, the AMC Promenade 24, still exists off US 36 in Westminster, had just installed stadium seating theaters oh. with armrests that lifted up, oh. which meant there could be actual snuggling. Wow. Uh, and making out. And I. Uh, you really the thought best... this through. Oh, I definitely thought it through. Well, first of all, I was like, let's see South Park. I've seen it so many times. I already know all the songs. And uh, she was like, yeah, whatever. And the fact that she said, like, yeah, whatever, I'm like, great. Maybe she won't <laughs> be totally into the movie. That's actually to my benefit. <laughs> so I cleared all the uh, narrative bumps of maybe actually getting interested in the movie and uh, being distracted off my goal. Focused on my goal, and let me tell you, one of my greatest successes was realizing that we could put up two armrests and lay down across the Oh, wow. Oh, wow. shit. Yes. <laughs> See, this is what you all were hoping was for. Was anyone else in the theater? This topic. Yeah, I'm going to say, like, as someone whose own story is going to involve some in-theater PDA, uh, I would have been very annoyed if the people sitting next to me in a movie theater were lying <laughs> down across several seats. I mean, there, there is, though, the a high percent chance of the suburbs where no one is there, in my experience. Uh, mm, you probably could have gotten I, away with this. I think we must have been towards the back. 
And I think there must have been not a lot of people there because I don't have a memory of being worried about that. Well, you had already also, seen it a bunch, so presumably it's pretty far into its run, too. Right. And also, uh, presu- like, also, when you are however old you were and that horny, you are not worried about anything else besides <laughs> really conditions of your horniness. Yeah. That's really so that's, that's the other option. But you really is that like, it was a full theater and I didn't care. What do you have to do? Why do you, why do you need to lay down? It's not a very comfortable position. I feel like you can accomplish so much sitting up too. Maybe I'm wrong. Because I, 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 maybe I described I described to you the rules for me dating. None of those uh, things involve being able to lay down and make mm-hmm. out horizontally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was just making out. Okay. I might have, okay. I might have copped a tiny feel, yeah, but come on. I, I didn't like I'm not talking about, you know, gross uh, underage sex crimes. You know, no South one Park, was getting arrested for this one. Okay. Exactly. So while I mean, we Terrence probably would have gotten out of the theater. are singing about fucking their uncles and <laughs> farting mm-hmm. at each other, you yeah, are you trying like, to yeah, romance the woman of your dreams. You heard about uncle fucking. How about uh, uh, Gonzalez fucking? Saddam Hussein <laughs> is singing in the background. Uh-huh. And you and are I could probably romancing. sing along if I wanted to, but I, I, I don't think I did. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, talk about I, this movie. It was, it's a, I, well, I guess I can't talk about the movie. It is uh, the story. It's a, it's a South Park movie, which feels weird now because I still watch South Park and it's still been going on. So, but it's night, set in 1999. So like Bill Clinton's the president. We're worried about kids watching movies with lots of profanity in them in the world of South Park because America in general is worried about that with South Park. And uh, it is a musical that when the kids start emulating F-words and bad language from the Terrence and Philip movie, they're the Canadian farting comedy duo, also from the show. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing at just you el- describing it. This is a great movie and a great show. <laughs> the parents get very mad they're using naughty language, and then eventually when they light Kenny on fire, and George- Dr. George Clooney, uh, mm-hmm. voice cameo by George Clooney, uh, unmistakable his, george clooney voice in this movie yes replaces his heart with a baked potato uh everybody is mad that now these canadian comedians have uh killed people with their naughty words and bad influences and so to defend the children the moms of america uh force uh, us into a war with canada and they are going to execute terence and philip and the kids uh need to stop it it also involves, yes, uh, Saddam Hussein, who wasn't dead at the time, but is dead in the in this movie, killed forgot, by a pack of wolves. That part of uh, Saddam Hussein's in uh, hell in a relationship and is in yes, yeah, he's yeah. in a toxic Very, relationship like, with Satan. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's there's, I mean, there was a part of it. Uh, there was some parts of it where I'm like, oh, this didn't age well, but then I'm like, no, this is like as equally offensive now as yes. I think they intended it to be. Mm. Uh, so it actually kind of holds up in that way. Uh, but also it's hard for me to uh, not like the South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut movie because I like learned all the songs and uh, watched I still it a I, lot. I, I was listening to the soundtrack the wake of mm-hmm. watching this movie again. I know every word. Uh, and I'm <laughs> sure. so happy that I do because the songs... I, I was going to say, the reason the movie holds up is because I think the craft is uh, is working at a level of excellence that is sublime Shut to have Mark Shea, the, ri- the writing the writing craft yeah the cra- like the, the, the songwriting, writing songwriting well yeah. i'm just this is also the time the movie where they finally switch over to maya for animating it instead mm. of actually animating it with cutouts 
Uh, so this is that's the program they still use now. And if you watch current South Park, they have figured out how to use this software really well. Oh my god! We're watching yeah. this. Watching this, it's, there's still some things where I'm like, ah, they probably would. They probably think that looks weird now because it <laughs> still does. It's like, what if the streets were still had construction paper texture? And I'm like, ah, that's not the charm of South Park anymore. But yeah, still incredibly I, written, and the songs I was, are great. I was sort of a lap South Park fan even by the time this movie came out because I think it had, the show had been around long enough that you could already sense what would happen in the over the course of the early 2000s where all of the worst people you knew became really, really, really into it. Um, and I was just like, I don't know about that. Like the first season I thought was just like a masterful in its time. And then at a certain point I was like, I can take a step well, back. But um, Early adopter even then. I, I remember, old, I remember <laughs> being at a hockey game the night that they were supposed to reveal Twin Peaks style, who was it, Cartman's father? Was that the thing? Um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, Cartman's father. Yeah, and uh, racing home, I like, taped it on VCR, on my VCR, and watched it later that night and the next morning, only to find out that they had, like, you know, it had been a prank and they booted the actual reveal, again, Twin Peaks style, to a later date. Um, so I was all in on that first season and, uh, I eventually, you know, although I hear from Dave and some other people that South Park has had its moments over the years, eventually just lost all interest, um, not long after this movie. But I also have a vivid memory of sitting in the theater on opening night. And when the uncle fucker song came on, <laughs> when they say, <laughs> Uh, you're an uncle fucker. Yes, it's true. Nobody fucks uncles quite like you. <laughs> Laughing so hard that, like, I think the next memory I have was being in an ER as they, like, you know, raised George to pump oxygen back into my lungs and George Clooney stood over me, replacing my heart with a potato. <laughs> um, I mean, the movie, this movie, in its way, uh, is kind of undeniable. Oh, yeah. I mean, but greatly overachieves what it needed to be. To deny it. And greatly, over, I mean, I mean, especially compared to like the, the the Simpsons movie that would follow a handful of years later, which is such a steep drop down from the best of what that show could be. This, I think, overachieves to an impressive degree from what the show was at the time. And I say that I say that in a backhanded way towards South Park, but um, I think it's impressive that the show would increasingly react to current events, and they'd make it in five and six day production cycles and so forth. And a movie obviously takes much longer to gestate, and yet the movie has was able to find more timeless appeal um even if it's about saddam hussein being in relationship to satan um you know, v chips well, yeah. Yeah, yeah v chips it has a phantom menace joke and the phantom menace came out a month beforehand so i always <laughs> that's always like that's a portent of what south park's going to become in the future which is like we just make shows in a week uh but yeah i think making it a musical and then learning later that you know trey parker and matt stone are actually pretty good at making funny musicals this was yeah. sort of my my introduction to their flavor of that even though it shouldn't have been i think i saw cannibal the musical pretty soon after this and realized they've been doing it for a long time uh but yeah south park bigger longer and uncut i think my favorite line that i always remember is from la resistance which is uh they could cut your dick in half and feed it to a pig, and though it hurts, you'll laugh and dance a dick dickless jig. 
But that's the way it goes in Warriors Shadow Pond, though you die, the La Resistance. Lives Can you on. imagine how I felt as a teenager <laughs> going into a movie that was South Park, but as also a Les Mis? Les kid. Mis? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so, this movie saw you. Speaking in a of way orgasmo, that else did. Uh, I was losing my mind. <laughs> Katie, so but did you have a taste for the? Wait, we, we, yeah, I, I, so, we got some so text I'm, from you that you were a little worried about this. I'm shocked that David was like over it by the first season because I vividly remember South Park being the thing that people talked about, but we didn't have Comedy Central. It wasn't carried on our local cable provider, so no one in my town had Comedy Central and therefore couldn't watch South Park. Like there was just no. I, Maybe that was was part of it. And so by the time South Park came, it was already a huge deal. We might have gotten Comedy Central in that summer of 99 when this movie came out. Um, And all the boys who I knew were really into South Park. And even then, I was kind of like, it's kind of gross. Like, I'm kind of sick of all the blood. I'm kind of sick of all the farting. Like, and just like the most like making me sound like... That's fine, baby. You don't even have to watch the movie. Just put up the armrest a little bit. Yeah, lay down, lay down. It's better if you don't like it. I mean, girls not liking (laughs) South Park was very common thing at this point. And so I sound, I now, watching it now, I found sound exactly like the moms in the movie who are like, these disgusting children, Terrence and Philip. But like, I get kind of sick of Terrence and Philip. But I have known all the words to all these songs this whole time. The, the <laughs> songs have been stuck in my head. They still are. Blame Canada has been stuck in my head for yeah, days. I watched Robin, Robin Williams, Williams performing. Yeah. I watched that clip again. Robin Williams is amazing when they perform it at the Oscars. The songs are undeniable. It's, it's exactly right. They move so fast. I mean, this movie's 85 minutes long, probably. And like, as soon as you get out of one great song, like, It's Easy Um K is such a fun song and it should go on for four minutes, but they're like in and out because they got to keep going. Um, but yeah, I just got kind of like worn. <laughs> I got really exhausted by this movie and I feel old and crotchety and like I should be leading a war against Canada. But kids are getting worse. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's where I landed. I, I would listen to the songs again. But what did your kids times, think though. of it? I assume you showed them. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. I thought about showing my kids the one of the next movies we're going to discuss. Uh, but uh, no, I like truly what do like current teens think of South Park like I guess it's still on so someone's watching it but like oh Butters the, is the huge entire on TikTok since right now I really mean, Butters, is, Butters wasn't even invented in time for this movie but Butters is I think <laughs> South Park is still I mean as Dave has alluded to South Park still on uh, they have a humongous deal of Paramount Plus they've been doing little movies just for the streaming service and then their regular seasons I gotta say still fucking funny to me I don't like they can produce episodes at such a like breakneck speed and, and quick turnaround that their does it work so as well in the because like this is such peak like politically correct like oh we're exposing the children to bad things like the villain of that part of the culture war now is just so different now like does it still does that attitude of like you know, shut your fucking face uncle fucker does that still work now I mean now we have Tally uh, waging war against climate change in the Paramount Plus movies that they produced over the last two years. So I don't know. The, okay. the targets have changed, be, but they're still. I relevant. would be very disappointed if South Park has not done, and, and hopefully Dave can let me know if they have an episode that mocks the you know, conservative movement in this country for the recent spate of transphobia and how uh, clearly, um, you know, the, the argument is about the drag shows in particular. It, or like, South Park doing an episode perfect, about perfect women's sports. That would be... That'd they be they have one. done women's sports. Uh, they didn't come out on a great side of it. Uh, they don't have the <laughs> wait, greatest... Wait, really? Uh, yeah. Well, women's, well, women's sports feels like a very dangerous topic for South Park. because, But, but I think that the, the hypocrisy in the Republican transphobia and their very performative 
fear of uh, drag shows and using that as a boogeyman, I think is always like fit, to, in my mind is like square in the middle of the bullseye or square in the middle of a bullseye. Mm. It's not really those are mixed uh, metaphors, but, you know, it's right dead center in the bullseye of what that show would be able to do well um, and who they would be able to take the piss out of. Uh, and because they, it's the kind of thing that I think like they respond most to hypocrisy and, and like very transparent, manipulative evil. And I, I don't know if they're not doing shit like that, then what are they still in the air for? But maybe they have, I well, don't know. I, I, I will. So, I mean, they did do, all, there was a entire two seasons, I think, where Mr. Garrison became Mrs. Garrison. So they've done stuff like that. They did a trans sports episode. The recent stuff they've been doing though, uh, the, Creators of South Park have fallen back in love with Colorado, as you might have heard. They bought Casa Bonita and are renovating it. Oh, right. They had, a, they had a South Park anniversary concert at Red Rocks where they performed all of these live uh, at last year. And so one of the recent South Park episodes is uh, Cartman buys a classic uh, South Park restaurant and tries to renovate it, but he just builds a whole bunch of rides and doesn't fix the food or fix any employees. And he blames uh, the the gen z and the pandemic for making people not want to work so they're like they're <laughs> okay. doing themselves plus like the work crisis so uh yeah we'll see what happens when the seasons continue they have more movies to give uh to to somebody hbo max so then more series to go to paramount plus or maybe it's the other way around to issue oriented what i think is good about the movie is that like it still has brains but it's mm-hmm. comedy first like in this new season there's an entire episode about Randy, the dad, buying a Japanese toilet, and everyone wants to shit in it. Um, and it's yeah. like mesmerizing everybody. And that Been that's there. still yeah, like that's <laughs> still an episode. And and I think this movie works by that logic too. It's it's vicious comedy against censorship and all the flack that South Park took leading up to the movie. But it's still like talking to a sentient clitoris or having Satan sing a song in hell about how he wants to live on earth like comedy first with this movie right like that's why it holds yeah. up it's still funny jokes um does the satanist nonsense stuff feel more homophobic now that it, like, in terms of things holding up that stood out to me a little bit more does it feel more homophobic now yeah i don't think it feels more uh, homophobic <laughs> it feels the same just, amount yeah, of homophobic I did in 1999 kind of homophobic i mean I would assume I, South Park I, has evolved on that a little bit over the years. I mean, I guess like this also has like, although it has that Satan Saddam thing, it has big gay Al singing about how it's great to be gay in front of the U.S. Army. That's the thing. I'm not like, sure it's homophobic. I think it's just that Saddam Hussein would be in a relationship with Satan. Yeah, they just think it's funny <laughs> that Satan, like it's not Satan. The, is, the joke is not that he's the gay. toxic one in the relationship. Right. They just need to be the in a relationship. Or that later on when people are like, and then Saddam Hussein and Satan are going to come take over the world. And they're like, oh, no, not Saddam Hussein. The joke is that Satan's like nothing. Anyway, South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Try to guess around what time. I, I don't remember. And I was trying to guess in this most recent rewatch around what time in this 80 something minute movie I felt comfortable enough to 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 slide up an armrest. Uh, I I, although I was confident in my plan, I'm not always confident in my execution. So mm. oh, so it, and I, you waited. This was not an immediate, like the most romantic move. moment in uh, South Park: Bigger and Longer Uncut. 
Yeah, I think so. I still think this was there was this was a chance for romance. This wasn't like well, Stan and uh, Wendy uh, have like a romantic plot in this movie, right? As he's dreaming. There's the girl that I like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I I just I just think maybe if you get to the if you get to the medley, the La Resistance medley, you gotta go. There's not much movie. Oh wow! Yeah, so you waited a while. I know. I'm just. That's just my guess right now. These days, okay. the draft house would be bringing you the check when you were making your moves. Mm-hmm. That's the the real downside of Alamo Draft House is I can't lay down and make out yeah. without being bothered in an Alamo <laughs> Draft House. Even though you uh, live with your partner in an apartment, and you, you just got to make out at the Draft House. In theater dining is mean, really putting a, a take on. me back to 1999, pre pre 911 when times were simpler and we cared about cursing on television. <laughs> uh, South Park, bigger logger and I cut, streaming on the Paramount Plus. Yeah. Step one instead of ass, say buns, like kiss my buns or you're a buns hole. Step two instead of shit, say poo, as in pull, poo, poo, head in this poo is cold. Step three with bitch, drop the tea, cause big is Latin for generosity. Step four, don't say fuck anymore, cause fuck is the worst word that you can say. So just use the word okay. We can do it, it's all about us. Okay. okay. We're done, like Prince told us, partying like it's 1999, and we're turning the clock forward one more year, but a whole other century. In March of 2000, this movie was released, and at some point in that year, apparently, Mad Patches took a date on it. What are we talking about, Matt? We're talking about My Dog Skip, a movie that no Patches, you gotta work on your accent. We're my talking dog. about We're talking my about. dog Wait, let, me, uh, let me let me do it the proper way. The movie that would do it. Back in my time, <laughs> I had a dog named Skip, <laughs> and I saw the movie that would change my life. My dog Skip. <laughs> so much voiceover in this movie. So much nostalgia. I, we'll we'll get there. I'm like, what genre is this? Who is it for? What are Who we doing? Is it? Uh, that is a question I had many we'll, times we'll, watching my we'll, skip. We'll get there. But uh, here's an, it, the interesting lead up to my dog Skip. Um, I saw this movie would have been eighth grade, uh, and as you said, Dave, like probably inching into the the notion of dating and and girlfriends and all the hormones and such, uh, probably could have picked a time in my life where I was actually on dates and, uh, probably could have picked a sexier movie. Yeah. I could have, I could have had a good (laughs) choice. Literally anything playing in theaters at that point was probably a sexier option. I haven't really checked. On the same wavelength there, but, uh, but there's a reason why my dog skip is going to be the movie here because in my, in my romantic saga in late middle school into high school, um, there, there was an, a, a girl that I was kind of attached to who would become my high school girlfriend. And there was like the flirting and potential romance there in already in middle school. The seeds had been planted, but not those kind of seeds. Don't be gross. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, but but it, it like wasn't taking off because, and then we kind of alluded to this. I don't know. I just had a lot of anxiety about dating and, and romance. Like I just, did, I think it was frowned upon. And maybe my parents never frowned upon it directly. I just assumed that they would be like, you can't date. Like, I was parenting myself in middle school. Um, I just didn't believe that I was allowed to be going on dates. So I was very anxious when this topic started to arise and the people who were interested in me wanted to hang out. And, like, with this one girl, 
my eventual high school girlfriend like wanted to go out and we were all in the same friend group and i'm like ah, i don't i can't i can't really do this but then the twist of eighth grade was that some girl who i was not really friends with who was like definitely in the goth group her name was bethany um wanted to like go out frankel and, not, uh, no, not Bethany Frankel. Because uh, David went out with her, too. Weird. I don't think we were the same age. Um, but what was weird is I was a square, you know, wearing, like, collared shirts that my mom provided to me. So, eighth grade. I did not have style, did not have a personality. I just felt, like, very cookie-cutter. And here was, like, a cool Wow, girl. you didn't have a person harsh on yourself. I am very harsh on myself at that time. Like, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't myself. I didn't have mm. control of myself. Um, but then the the idea that somebody who was like very much dressing themselves, like wearing baggy jeans or ripped shirts and like had cool hair, um, uh, and, and this girl wanted me to come out with like her specifically and her friends. And I just thought this was the craziest idea. And I'm like, I gotta make this work. I gotta go out with Bethany. Give me a date. Whoa. And I get to like leave my normal friend group. Do you, like we were in do the you same, remember? yeah, we were in like a homeroom type situation and i was getting like flirty touching and giggling and being like you gotta come out with us this is gonna be great and, uh, I, okay well, I don't so you're like invited to like join so her and her friends <laughs> yeah yeah i was like i was totally thrown off i'm like i wear khaki pants sometimes you guys are the fucking wear shirts <laughs> with bands on them um you are awesome um <laughs> You're sounding a lot like a certain young man in the 1940s in Mississippi who uh, didn't know how to talk to girls. <laughs> well, wait, wait until we get there. So <laughs> I'm like, we got to make this happen. What's, what should we do? And I'm told we're going to go see my dog, Skip. Now, I should have thought this about this for two seconds because what the fuck? Why would we see my dog, Skip? There's got to be <laughs> another movie. And these are cool kids. They would not be going to see my dog, Skip. But I was just going to be there. like. Tell me what time and I'll get dropped off and we'll go. And so that's what happened. We made plans for like a Friday night or something. And we're going to go see my dog, Skip, the 2000 comedy drama starring Frankie Muniz and a dog. Um, uh-huh. And I was in. Not Let's just go. a dog. Not just a dog. A not just two dogs, but both of the dogs who played Eddie right. in uh, Frasier. <laughs> I did That's not true. know this at the time. Celebrity I wasn't a Frasier watcher. Dogs. Celebrity dogs. Um, that was not getting me in. So here's the thing. We roll, I roll up to the Regal Plymouth meeting in uh, Plymouth meeting, Pennsylvania to go see this movie at a giant multiplex. They're all standing there. I'm like, I'm, I, I got to play cool. And as, as we walk up, my parents drive away. They're like, hey, have fun at the movie. We'll see you see after. Okay, cool. I'm breathing. And then I get to the group and like, we are not going to see this movie. <laughs> and I was like, what? Uh, we're going across the street and going to the mall to like do whatever kids do at the mall, which is walk the or walk around and stir up trouble, maybe get chicken teriyaki and some ice cream at the food court. Ooh. We are breaking the rules tonight. We are not going to the movie. I'm going to the mall. And I was also, if I haven't made this clear, the square who followed the rules. Like I was not going to break the rules at eighth grade, but I also had to go or I'd be a complete loser. So I'm mm-hmm. on like, tough. pins and needles. So I go, I have to go to the mall to go follow this girl, Bethany. Um, and we go to the mall. I'm like, okay, I, I'm probably hyperventilating, but trying to be cool. And I'm not seeing my dog skip. 
but I'm like, I should be seeing my dog skip. I don't know what it's going to be about. I won't be able to describe the plot. Um, but everything is cut short because we're walking around the mall. And guess what? My parents went to the mall. Of course no. they did. Where else would they go to kill time while I'm at the movie? That is cue the Seinfeld base. Only ninety five minutes long, and they see me and they're like, "We're getting the fuck out of here. Let's maximize embarrassment and say, get out. This is over. You broke the rules. You lied. We're going home. Uh, complete embarrassment." I don't have any memory of trying to reconnect with this group or this girl. Oh my god! And uh, I probably soiled Rod, myself. Rod, major skin. Rod, you gotta, I know. Matt Patches, right now you're cool. listening now. This Let Matt Patches cool. live a little. It ain't <laughs> great. You gotta, you I just leave him back when he gets though. home. But you gotta, you know. So the twist here. So wait. The twist here is I <laughs> yeah. had never seen my dog skip, <laughs> no. but I lived with the fear There's of the eventually watching it, and now we got to watch my dog skit for the podcast wow you could have gone why... your whole life without ever having I seen it the consequences have. were gone i'm haunted this is that's... a triggering movie um, <laughs> that's why i got a chat like luke evans like you were surprised to see him again like you luke hadn't wilson. seen my dog not, skit. if luke i was wilson. luke wilson i'd be watching dracula told in the yeah. dark universe i'd be very comfortable yeah. um, yeah, that's true so let, let's talk about my dog skip which is a baffling baffling movie and i'm really trying to put my finger on like i mean it's based on a popular book this movie overperformed at the box office it was a major success i think it made it was a critical hit almost like it got 40 good million reviews. bucks on top of a five million dollar budget as i said this is frankie munez i think it's pre-malcolm in the no middle, i think he had like, like i think malcolm Mill had just okay. started yeah i mean he's yeah, like yeah. top build in this but movie this is, this is luke wilson as a like a military guy who comes home early because uh, he's all fucked up. His name up is Dink. His name's name Dink. is Dink. And they say it a lot mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure Kevin do. Bacon is the overbearing dad who doesn't want his son. He's, he's also a military vet who's lost his leg and he doesn't want his son to own a dog. But the mom, Diane Lane, who's 35 in this movie, I was feeling super duper old watching oh, boy. 35-year-old Diane Lane be gorgeous, but also young. And I'm like, oh, you. Uh, she wants her son to have a dog. And in one of the strangest moments as a parent now, I was like, you're going to get him a dog when the dad was like, no dog. Now, oh, the yeah. dad is being yeah. overbearing. They, there needs to be more compromise on the dad's part. But here. like, you got to be on but the you same just bought team. A you fucking can, dog. And then yeah, your, oh. your kids have to see you as a united friend here. Also, like, yeah, you don't. Yeah, yeah I'm with so you. Anyway, it's the, you it's the 1940s. It's the 1940s. Uh, and this is a, like, a simpler time in Mississippi. Nothing weird going on for the, anybody who lived in this town. Yeah. It was all friendly. The sappiest <laughs> music and that that sepia tonish sheen. And this is nostalgia 101. But I, I got to ask you guys, like, what is this movie going for? What is it novelistic? Is it trying to do Forrest Gump? It kind of directly do, does Forrest Gump later in the movie when uh the main guy willie and his dog skip are in a football race and someone literally says run willie and they run with the dog uh, but like what the fuck is this movie it's so it's, gentle and it's g-rated doing, but who is it for what is it's it it's doing to kill a mockingbird the entire opening credits are just a knockoff of to kill a mockingbird where it's like close-ups <laughs> of items in a child's room except it has the most insane like the music sweeps in. It's a football, and you're supposed to cry because you're seeing an old '40s football. Yeah, um, baseball it's and a, football, and wow, America. 
He became a boy and then he became a young man. It's in because Mississippi, of this too. Yep. The real America, you know, the, the Southern America. Uh, yeah. There's, uh, there's a scene in the movie where two of the lead characters describe the movie by trading books. They're like, it's about a boy who has adventures. This is about a girl who has adventures. I'm like, yep, this, this is about a boy and a dog who have adventures. The, okay, I get trying to put some seriousness in it. Dink, superstar, goes to war, comes back, and it wasn't, it was the killing. It wasn't the death that was worried him, it was the killing. So he has to run back and deal with, you know, people calling him a coward. Uh, you know, the, the Willie himself has to make friends with the bullies. And then <laughs> the bullies who push him over moonshiner. and then they're like, get in here. You're our friend now. I, I found that. <laughs> yeah. That they're like, you can, well, you're too lame. You got to play sports with us. Like, oh, okay. exactly. <laughs> sure. But there's also a plot about moonshiners who are hiding their moonshine in a tomb uh, yeah. that they've chained up and it spawns a local legend about a witch. Mm hmm. Uh, and at first, when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, that's the one, you know, weird one. All of these, like, coming of age stories about, like, I had a summer, I had a few years. They got that one weird story in it. That's fine. But the moonshiners come back. Oh, yeah. To be a key point in the plot, uh, at the, for the very end of the movie. Uh, Are there moonshiners? Yeah, Isn't man. Prohibition over by 1940s? What's going in on? In mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And Mississippi might have, they, I mean, there were definitely dry counties uh, in okay. the South, like even when I was a kid. Um, so it could, they could have been in a dry county. But yes, I had the same question. And this part obviously reminded me the most of uh, the Dennis the Menace movie with Christopher yeah, Lloyd uh -huh. being the drifter. Okay. <laughs> uh -huh. That's exactly here. what I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> Little kid runs into dirty old man drinking moonshine in a cemetery. <laughs> we're all going to the same reference. That's good. <laughs> I mean, I lament often that like live action kids movies don't really exist anymore that I can show my kids, and like this is certainly like is a late a example movie? of the genre. It's more I don't of a know. grandma movie, like it's just <laughs> what's well, like set during World War Two, right? I guess it's kids can watch some of the montages, like. Everyone knew Skip, but they well, saw like, him walking around town. Like the dog drives the car. Like that's entertaining uh -huh. for that a kid. A deeply unsafe I mean, prank that they pull while the dog is driving that, the car through the, the town and they're crouched down in their car. <laughs> you can't I, see I anybody. have a vivid memory of that being the entire marketing campaign for the film, which is the shot of the dog. <laughs> the dog it was, like, the car. it was like half of the trailer in every TV ad, which is the dog driving the fucking car. He drives a car. You gotta see this one. My dog Skip. He drives a car. What? How does that work? Gotta watch the movie to find out. Also, Skip is colorblind, so he is friends with both the white and the black. Uh, members of the population. Uh -huh. This is also literally thing. because of science. Well, that, he's a dog. That's, I was. Blown back by the fact that they make that connection where he's literally colorblind so he could be friends with it. No racism in this dog. Amazing. This is where I start wondering if my dog Skip is actually evil. Whoa. And like, where there have been a lot, like, plenty of movies set in the South that like did not adequately deal with Jim Crow. Like, I did not expect this to be one of them, but it just like, it is so candy colored. It is so like, wow, but we all came together around Skip. Um, and that level of nostalgia can just like I feel like we grew up around a lot of sixties nostalgia, like Forrest Gump being like the ultimate example of it. And this is so in line with that being like, oh, wasn't it better back in the day when like young men played stickball in the street? Um, and it just it's so blinkered and so much from this is like one like white dude's perspective. Uh, it, it that that was where it kind of started driving me crazy. This 
this is based on an m- actual memoir, so I yeah. imagine I would find the memoir uh, Worse? slightly more offensive. This one, it's like, put the dog in the title, make it all about the dog with aggressive voiceovers, and I feel a little bit better until the very end, where it's like, and we finally got to see that black player play, and he played, and he played. I'm like, it is night! There are cars lined up because they won't let him play during the day. You guys are so close <laughs> to being able to just say something. And, to be uh, but no, everybody's everybody's there. Even the racist fat white bully. And I mean, I shouldn't call him fat. He's a child. He's, he's large growing. for his age. He'll, he's just he'll he's growing. He'll stretch out. He'll do it. Yeah. And then like there's one part that I was a little confused by where we're like Skip introduces Willie to a little black kid the black kid tells him about like the the black dink which is the person that was referring to uh, them playing sports later on they're both in line for something what was happening isn't that where they're going to the movies and like the the black kids are going up to the stairs up Uh, going up the stairs they're going into the movies there we go thank you yeah uh, so, so yeah, again, no, that, that, that was segregated. That's, that's a, a, great ti- a great time to say something, but the movie aggressively focuses on what is happening around uh, the the Jim Crow era of this this period. Yeah, and uh, like To Kill a Mockingbird, like it, it's very much explicitly about that. Like saying this movie is not as good as To Kill a Mockingbird is a shitty thing to do. But like it's so much trying to be To Kill a Mockingbird, and uh, but I will doesn't say have the guts. This movie in 2023 would be like a hallmark shot on video. Yeah, sub TV budget, yeah. and at least in the year 2000, when things were shot on film, had real actors, like it's a real movie. Yeah, it looks all right. It has polish. Sure. It's produced by Mark Johnson, who, if you again, if you're listening, I'm sorry, <laughs> <Our close> personal <laughs> friend. Uh, <laughs> David, as a Connecticut boy, uh, did you relate to my dog Skip at all? Was the did you find northern to southern connection? I had I had a dog named Popeye, and he uh, he never did any of this shit. Did he change your life? He stayed at my house, and I mean, I guess he changed my life forever. Popeye was a good dog. R.I.P. Rest in power, Popeye. Did he I get love hit him. in the head uh, by a moonshiner, and then you saw him almost I, I, die, honestly, but then he came back honestly, to life and that he became an adult. That, mm-hmm. that would have explained a lot about Popeye had, had that happened. Um, Popeye once ran, and I saw this happen with my own two eyes. We had. You know, a screen door and then our wooden door. And once I opened the wooden door and he got so excited at the prospect of going outside that he ran directly through the screen door, like oh. a mm-hmm. hole, direct, like a poodle sized hole in the middle of the screen door. Um, he ate batteries. And oh, my God. He, oh, man. Skip, Skip uh, should have, would have set this dog yeah. straight. Um, oh, yeah. Skip's a little brown nosing asshole. Fucking Popeye <laughs> was a real dog. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't. None of this movie doesn't really do much for me. It didn't then. Doesn't now. <laughs> you saw it then. Sure did. Really? Why? Oh. You act, or did you lie to your parents and say you did see it and then went and hung out with them? <laughs> no, I mean I'm not a loser like my patches. I told my parents that I was going to go see it, and then I secretly went to crack. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, I sat through my dog skip just like I watched virtually every movie I could at that age. I'm glad we've advanced the quarter quail to one of us bringing a movie they they have they haven't seen at all. Uh, we've watched really movies are... that are new to us in the quarter quail. I went before. on a date. Just, to it my wasn't dog usually skip. a twist. I just didn't end the date 
at my dog. <laughs> so you don't have no I idea would... what happened to Bethany. I really don't. Not a Facebook friend or anything. Not someone. I'm not even sure in high school what happened there. But uh, I don't want to look back. What if you can you imagine what it would have been like to watch this movie sitting next to cool goth Bethany? I mean, we would have been talking the whole time, ignoring what was happening, probably. I and yeah. I would have been like, I'm trying to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the other problem. I would have gotten sucked in. I would have had questions. I would have watched the movie. I was a loser. Bethany, we're at fitwr.podcast.gmail.com. <laughs> oh my God. I would. We have no idea what happened to you. To find out that Bethany is thriving. He was cool. Uh, I think Luke Wilson's good in this movie. That's, yeah, that's sure. what I'm going to throw he out there. Moonshiners. He has his PTSD moments. Yeah. It's not a big role. Like, no, it's again weird. He was in a weird place in his life at this point, uh, and I don't know that like anyone else is really like Luke Mary, Frankie Muniz is fine. Like I don't know that anyone else is good in this movie, but Luke Wilson does all right. No, beautiful. Beautiful. This was before Unfaithful. This is like right before Unfaithful. Wow, really? Unfaithful is that? I think early? so. What's that? I think Unfaithful is like two thousand two. Yeah. Unfaithful wow. is 2002, yeah. So she's yeah, in like, you can really, like I mean, one of the, a low end. One of the, the beautiful things that movies uh, of your childhood do is is they mark time for you. And it's you can really quantify the changes that were undergoing in my, my life, on my body, probably true for more than one of us, uh, by everything that transpired between the release of My Dog Skip and Unfaithful. I think I was dramatically <laughs> different people at those times. I saw both those movies in theaters and uh, was going for very different reasons. Yeah. Oh, you know, any movies that came out when I was in college, I'd, I'd feel like a radically different person, even though the distance between that and Home Fries was not actually that far. This was a year after A Walk on the Moon, which is a great movie um, that she is great in. Um, so she was, she was on her way back up. Well, I will say... I'm pretty uh, sure... Yeah, go. Oh, go ahead, Pat. No, please. Oh, I was going to say, in March 2000, I almost guarantee you, I saw Romeo Must Die three times. That's too many. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the box office from when My Dog Skip went wide. It opened limited uh, MLK weekend, and it was on like three screens That's for weird. a while. I don't, yeah, I see I don't know what was going on is there. That, is that like a Sundance, possibly? I don't know. Uh, it went wide uh, the weekend that uh, The Whole Nine Yards was number one at the box office. The next best thing, the Madonna Rupert Everett movie that Woof. I've never seen, uh, was out. That was uh, Skip's um, review of the movie. Woof. <laughs> Woof. I'm going to give uh, Skip's The movies that I've seen in this are all Oscar, Hank, Oscar holdovers, like American, American Beauty, Cider House Rules, because I was a little bit older than you, Patches. So at that point, a I was like, bit. I could. Oh, much older than me. I could go to a R-rated movie with <laughs> my parents, or like once mm. in a while sneak into one. So like I saw. Uh, American Beauty in theaters. Oh wow! Somehow, um, and like otherwise was renting all of this stuff. My dog Skip. Well, it was uh, better than my date. The Sixth Sense is still playing in theaters at this point. Thirty-one <laughs> weeks in. Should have seen that. Saw that with my grandma. Not a great date. <laughs> So cool, he's really hip, my dog Skip. Who loves my companionship? That's my dog Skip. Who admires me totally? Even All right, so yeah, set the uh, stage, David. It's yeah, it's 2002. Yeah. I'm assuming. <laughs> it occurred to me now, just on the over the course of recording this episode, that. The small handful of you out there who are invested in the wider uh, David Ehrlich podcast universe 
might remember an offhanded comment that has always haunted me. No one has ever said anything to me about it, but I always was like, well, I didn't need to say that, uh, that I made on an episode of Blank Check about seeing the 2002 Nick Cassavetti's movie, John Q. And I think I said something to the effect of like, I definitely touched a boob in that movie. And the conversation went on. And it was just sort of a weird thing to say. You were like hanging with the bros and you really felt like you had to like show how macho no, you were. I just, I just, uh, it was all I could remember about John Q. Um, I mean, like that is a very formative experience in my life was, uh, I, I have sort of a strong flashbulb memory from that night. It was, uh, an innocent, not particularly, you know, a lascivious touching of the boob. Um, I just, out of context, as I thought back on what I had said in the recording of that episode, I was like, ah, that, that was probably unwise, but uh, now the story can be told. Mm. Um, now the story can be told. Yes, it was February of 2002, Anno Domini. Uh, I was 16 years old and I was looking to get my snack on. No, I was dating a uh, very, uh, very devout evangelical Christian from South Africa who had Ooh, uh, Christian boo. come to Connecticut. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's her, like a rare Pokemon. Her name was Ilza, I-L-Z-E. Um, she, I, I thought she was very pretty. I, you know, she was very mean, like she, she was a kind of mean, um, but I <laughs> learned that she was just like mean to me because she liked me, which blew my mind because I thought that that was not the case. Um, uh, part of my lifelong history of always being surprised when anyone liked me for in, in any capacity. And uh, we, I guess, were dating at this point. And yeah, I mean, the Ilza, the Ilza thing, you know, she, she like, the, the evangelical Christian part was really just more of anything, a source of amusement for me whenever I would go over to her house and like have to have dinner with her father. And I was just I'm imagining like, the scene and, from the Fablemans, just to be clear. Yes, it was, a, it was absolutely a Fablemans. One of the many reasons Fablemans resonated with me. Um, I do not think that Ilza fetishized me for having a resemblance to Jesus Christ in any way, um, <laughs> you know, having the Jewish connection there, but just like listening to her parents talk about, you know, their evangelical, like I was interested in not in a, I want to, uh, sign up for this, but in a sort of anthropological way. Um, and it is very hard to, I think I can, I say somewhat boastfully to sway a Jew not that they were trying, but to sort of sway you into the fold of your fundamentalist uh, religious beliefs. Uh, I, but I even went so far as to go to church with them one Sunday morning uh, and watch my girlfriend speak in tongues, which was Whoa, amazing. Whoa, they were that kind of evangelical Christian. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, like, you were like, like, I gotta get Baptist, this girl to the movies different. so we can speak in tongues. <laughs> Hello. Exactly. Yeah. Hey. Patches, I believe I turned to her father, said that verbatim, and then went out for a high yeah. five. Um, uh, you were really cool. But, um, you know, what do you do when you're a horny 16-year-old in February of 2002? You naturally take your girlfriend, along with some other friends, to go see the Denzel Washington vehicle, John Q., which is a thriller about the American healthcare system. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's, it's dog day afternoon, but about healthcare. Uh, and, um, yeah, I think even at that age, I... <laughs> sort of tell I, I feel bad because well i was gonna say i could sort of you could sort of tell immediately this movie is absolute dog shit but i feel i feel bad saying that because nick Cassavetes was clearly coming at this from a heartfelt place his daughter was born with a congenital heart or had developed a congenital heart um uh defect and had to have terrifying surgery when i she was three years old i believe and now i'm a parent myself and look through look at this movie and all movies about 
children in peril through very different eyes. And if one of my children gets a you know, cut on their finger, I am basically bargaining with God. So I really can only imagine what it's like to go through an experience like that um, and to process it afterwards. A friend of ours, their three-year-old daughter had a brain tumor. She is now in full remission and made a full recovery. But uh, I, like, I, I don't know how they function as human beings um, after that. It would completely break me. Uh, and so I am very, I, I'm very, you know, empathetic towards why he would want to make this movie and his reasons for doing so. Um, and I am obviously, as a sentient human being who lives in the country of America, uh, absolutely indignant about our healthcare system 24 hours a day. Uh, and so this movie should be a pretty easy home run. It is an atrocity, but it's also, I mean, oh, <laughs> I, you are, no, you are looking disagree at this with, you later. with your 2002 eyes. Hang on. I, right, keep I, going. Whatever. I mean, it's not, I, whatever. It's not, it's not, I, have I, I don't feel really harsh, now. but, um, I, I mean, the, I, I'm not really interested in, in diagnosing the movie at length, but I will say the main sort of fatal flaw of the film is that it deludes itself into thinking that it's a story about faith uh, and it's a story about miracles and holding out hope for something to happen because Denzel Washington plays a, um, a he's like a factory worker whose eight-year-old son, something like that age, uh, suddenly goes into cardiac arrest during a baseball game and it turns out that he's, he has insurance but doesn't have the right kind of insurance he can't afford to pay enough money of a down payment to put his son on the heart transplant list that he would need in order to survive. Um, and he makes the mistake of going to a hospital that's run by the most evil fucking Anne Heche that has ever existed. And her, <laughs> Whereas her, James her, Woods is the like moral surgeon who James can be convinced. Woods. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, a real bad hospital. If I rolled up, up to a hospital and they were like, your doctor is James Woods, I would just like, <laughs> I'll take my chances at county. Thank you very much. I mean, to be fair, James Woods is not a doctor. So if they said that, you should turn away. Cause yeah, you really are you in a bad place. Operating. But he eventually gets, he comes on the side of the righteous. I mean, he has to say something. Yeah. Somewhat liberal uh, ideology in the he movie. Does. You can you it, can feel that, that's you what can turn feel him. him like the pain. He's like writhing on the screen. <laughs> Great um, but <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, right. And so and so eventually, you know, at his wits' end, very understandably, John Q. In maybe not the the most inspired plan of all time, but in an act of desperation, wow. takes a handgun and he goes the hospital and he <laughs> takes hostages and he says that he's only going to release hostages. David watching a hostage situation on TV. A heart transplant. Uninspired. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it before. I'm saying, no, I'm just saying, I'm just, no, I'm just saying that like, it's not the most well thought out plan. Like, what do you think's going to happen? Yeah, what's um, the end game here? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly outlandish movie to begin with, but uh, I mean, uh, some version of the story happened in real life in Toronto, not that the movie was inspired by it at all, with a distraught father but uh, it I mean, did not work out nearly game? as well for the that individual. The end game is clear. He'll do anything until his son yeah. gets okay. anyway, saved. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, the, the, the movie, uh, I, I, I'm not someone who's known to cite Roger Ebert's reviews frequently, but I read his review uh, of this movie today, and it made me appreciate what Roger Ebert did best, which is just a very succinct, unsparing takedown of everything that makes this movie profoundly stupid. Uh, highly recommended. It would save us the time of having to go over it here. What's more important is that at some point between 10 and 15 minutes into this movie, hey, stay on topic. I'm making out here, all right? Like between 10 and 15 minutes into this movie, flanked by like different groups of friends, some of whom were on dates, some who aren't, started making out and kept on making out. I I think this was like the most 
consistent and, and longest lasting movie makeout I've ever had. Uh, because wow. there was just so little reason to look at what was happening on screen. Um, and uh, and watching like Sean Hattesey play like ham up his role as a domestic abuser was not really compelling enough. Uh, but what this movie does amazingly, um, and I can really only appreciate this in hindsight, I can appreciate it now more than I could at the time at least, is it has this sort of Russian nesting doll of character actors that come out. In, like, An incredible, in, like, incredible five, lineup. Like every five or ten minutes, another instantly recognizable and increasingly unexpected actor just pops out of the woodwork to do some exceedingly stupid shit. Um, you Robert know, Duvall starts, and Ray starts, Liotta do not show up in this movie until like halfway through the runtime. Oh no! Oh, I mean, but when they spoilers. do, when just, they do, you're, you guys the, are the feeling that washes over you. <laughs> you guys are disrespecting the slow build of actors that this movie is just teasing out. We're Ethan talking like Supley. like first reel, Laura Herring, fresh off of Mulholland Drive. Ethan <laughs> Supley, uh, you know. Uh, then Sean Hattesey, Eddie Griffin's in there. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. You're like, okay, now really, now really uh, body director Kevin Connolly. <laughs> Okay. I was just gonna well, say what's his name you. from you're, you're, you're stealing my thunder. Uh yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean Kevin Connolly is a big one. Um and he names all five wings of the hospital. You got the ICU. You got the form of fest. But then but then you truly have it. Then you got fucking uh Ray Liotta shows up as the most cartoonish chief of police that I have ever seen in a movie. Just because he wants you to have... smile for the cameras at any given chance? Oh but so it's an election year, job. Katie. It's an election year. <laughs> it's uh, an election year. You have Robert Duvall as the hostage negotiator who, similar to... just wants to, to eat Peking duck. Really does. <laughs> similar to Ray Liotta. <laughs> Could, could not tell you what the name of the movie they're working on is or what the <laughs> plot is supposedly about, but they're getting their daily rate, goddammit. Um, and and just when you think you've seen it all, and this movie has no more to give, you get like a super cut of Jay yes. Leno, yes. Larry King, Ted Demi, Ted Demi, the rapper Nas, Bill Maher, and Ariana Huffington. Wait, do you think Ted Demi credited as hip indie filmmaker? Yes. It's incredible. You think that was filmed for the movie? That wasn't I just think like they're all like clips? real news clips, right? I assumed okay. it was all like. I do not know. Except for Jay Leno. Sit down with Ardia Huffington for the to be credited John as a hip Q. indie filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All I know from the IMDb trivia is that they filmed the one of the opening scenes where Denzel Washington is watching George W. Bush speak uh, about something on the news. They filmed a version where it was Al Gore talking about something on the oh. news because they didn't know oh. at that point who was going to win the election. Um, wow. Release, release the Gore cut. <laughs> um, <laughs> people are demanding. Um, you but, know what we need? A Gore cut of John Q. <laughs> but like, this was, this was in an age where you could just plug a bona fide movie star. We still had those. I mean, Denzel Washington is still a bona fide movie star, but um, he, and plug them into a completely bone dumb screenplay that just generated some mild tension off of whatever these awful tropes and stereotypes. I mean, this one at least has some sort of social justice ethos behind it, but that it's diluted to a point where you kind of feel like, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> like this isn't really the I argument that we needed. I don't um, agree with you. Well, that's I'm fine. shocked. Uh, actually, but they, uh, uh, you know, listen, I think all the time that like, if, if, you know, one of my kids were in an accident and I couldn't afford to, like, I would feel, I would understand, you know, it goes without saying that I would understand 
uh, the frustration that John Q feels in this film, but that does not make the dramatization of it any less uh, implausible. But uh, yeah, I mean, like it kind of holds together. The, things are like fitfully amusing. It's Denzel very, Washington. Very Great in this Denzel, movie. I mean, okay, great, great, like, great, so, great overstating it. He's sure, but he's still like at does. the center of a thing doing the thing that Denzel Washington does, which like we still don't really get that much anymore. He's like giving, he's still yeah, but Denzel the, Washington, but like speeches about oh, saving his son. He's yelling at Anne Hache when she's being yes, a douchebag. But what I hear, uh, yeah, well, is she ever? But what I mean, the office. If you ever went to a hospital and talked to an administrator at the hospital and they sat in the office and Anne Hage occupies oh. in this movie, you would burn the <laughs> entire burn the whatever building the fuck down. you'd burn the entire building to the ground if all the patients inside of it and you wouldn't feel bad. But the uh what I'm hearing from you Katie is that without Denzel Washington, if you just plugged a less charismatic actor into this movie, the house of cards would completely collapse and we would all be embarrassed to be here. Maybe Denzel but- Washington's superpower here is that he almost is able to fool the Matt Patches of the world and the thing that gets a credible film. But I just uh, like, like <laughs> I, my only feeling, and I can't believe you can watch this in 2023 and not think like they don't make them like this anymore. That like murderers are of character actors alone that you just listed. Like there are just these cheesy oh, yeah, gifts throughout the whole movie. Like Robert Duvall shows up and you immediately know he's the righteous cop and Ray Liotta's Listen. the shitty cop. And I was just like, was cruising through also, this whole movie. I, I had a great the, time. The polemic of the movie, the kind of blunt force attack on this corrupt healthcare system that we have, I, I don't know, was kind of it's not underappreciated it's not... in this movie at the time. <laughs> I, I saw a lot of criticism, like, this movie's heavy-handed. I'm like, you need that. You need that now. You need people Shh. screaming about this, right? Is this the reason sure. we got Obamacare? Is it? Yes, and don't don't look up solved climate change. <laughs> I would absolutely love more movies, and I, I think certainly, you know, the, the urgency around this has only grown more intense since. Uh, that tackle is head on and that are not made by Michael Moore. I would love the American version of the death of Mr. Lazarescu, uh, you know, really, you know, attack the system. <laughs> Great. But if I'm watching a movie from 2002, uh, the implicit promise better be that they don't make them like this anymore. Otherwise, why? if I'm watching like a, not just a new movie from 2002, but like a, uh, you know, a, a generously what I'll call a B movie by Nick Cassavetes from 2002, it better be the kind of thing that I can't get now. Uh, and you know, they don't make it look they used to only get you so far. And in this movie, I'd say it buys it about 20 minutes in the opening 20 minutes, you know, or even longer before he gets to the hospital and it takes a while. It takes a while to get to the hospital. Yeah. But like that stuff is, that stuff is a little bit more credible and grounded. Yeah. 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 That stuff's fine. Um, but also, you know, the fact that like that, that cold open that they have, and the, the miracle, yeah, like, oh, what a miracle. This woman was fucking flattened by a Mack truck. Is the face of that overt? I didn't really, I didn't really get that. Yes. I mean, they go to church, and but like, do they call it a miracle? Do they say like, God? Yes, they talk the about this. Like, they talk about yeah, this he says, times. I'm waiting for a miracle. Okay. And he puts his head down to pray. And then we cut to the okay. scene we've already okay. seen of the yeah. crash. Yeah, all right. And they frame it. They frame it. You know, listen, I am all. Or triaging human life. <laughs> I'm not, but like whatever. I, I can uh, I can appreciate the dramatic argument that this sick eight year old boy, um, you know, such an innocent, and it's a it's a moral good to you know he lives regardless of who would have to die in order to make that happen. Sure, but the fact that they frame this woman who is an asshole, she seems like an asshole in the three seconds that we meet her, because uh, she's driving like a lunatic. Uh, but she because uh, she's trying to pass, but yeah, does it poorly. Right? Does Very that poorly. mean that she? Does, I mean, that means that often in life that she does die. I don't know if it means that she necessarily 
deserves to die, but they frame her being absolutely flattened by a Mack truck as a miracle <laughs> because she happens to have uh, a working card and B plus a B positive blood, which is the second most common B blood type in the positive. world, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they're like, what are the what are the odds that someone would ever die with B positive blood? Um, whatever. This movie's dumb as shit. Uh, but I didn't, I, I wasn't in, in pain watching it. Um, I, I, and I certainly wasn't, I certainly when did wasn't you touch at the, the Stanford Majestic Theater. I, I actually, I, did I touch the boob in the theater? Would I have been so bold? Who could say? It's really more of a state of mind that you're touching the boob. But the, um, there was definitely a lot of making out at a time when, I think, you know, at a certain age, as you mature, you develop a modicum of shame where you're like, I'm not just going to be like sucking the tonsils out of this woman's body while like seven of my friends are surrounding me, like half watching what we're doing, half watching the movie, half focused on their own business. Uh, but at 16 years old, that is just not a concern of yours. Um, and at no point in that do I remember feeling like oh, we're making a spectacle of ourselves. I was like, I'll take it where I can get it. Um, and you took but, it. Uh, what, a, what a time for it, it was given. It was given. I mean, Ilsa wanted to, uh, you know, she, she as much as she was there for the Lord, she was also eager to live her life away from her parents' watchful eye and that of Jesus on the cross, who you could find in several well, Luckily, in she house. was watching a faith-based uh, film while doing that. Yeah, sh- that's true. Mm-hmm, that's she sure true. was. I mean, I'm sure when she went home that night and her parents were like, what did you see? She... Could hopefully have heard that line about faith and miracles and caught that scene. God, where God goes got to a church. heart for this little boy. And, but sadly, you know, other uh, things happened. Ilza, Ilza, and I were not meant to be in the long run. Who could have foreseen? Uh, we broke up in the spring of that year after a memorable few months together, and uh, she moved back to South Africa in our senior year of high school. And I saw like one Facebook update after Facebook was invented five or six years later, um, that she was married and maybe pregnant. Uh, and then I think she shut down her Facebook account, and that was like 18 years ago now, so no idea. Wow. Why is it live or dead? But the next time uh, she watches John Q, she'll remember. Oh, no, she definitely she, she definitely thinks of me every time she watches John Q, which I bet she does on the regular. <laughs> very, very. It's on HBO Max. It's right there. You can just watch it all the time. Uh, That's true. A staple I... of terrestrial South Wait, African television. Dave, where do you land on the they don't make them like they used to versus John Q was no good? Uh, I was really on the no good side until the hospital shit started up because although it's nice to have a montage of them actually trying to raise the money, it goes on for forever, mm-hmm. and I know the premise of the movie. They're not going to come up with the money. Well, they do come up so with some a, money. In the hospital, they says, do come we don't up with even some, want and, your money. Right, and if that was important in some way, I would understand why it was important for me to see how hard they were trying. But at no point did I assume that these parents would not try that hard. But the part when I came back into, they don't make them like this anymore, and uh, start enjoying the movie anymore, is once the cops show up, Mm-hmm. A part of the score shows up that is just like rocking metal guitar that goes over <laughs> montages of the crowd booing the cops and like <laughs> all that sort of shit cheering. Just, it's like it's like the 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 A cab uh, music sting, and they use it like three or four times. And the second time it came up, and it was like, no, 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 and everyone's like, John, John, and he like brings the sniper out, and he's like, he's got no pants on. No, 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 no. I was like, all right. I, I see the charm here. 
it doesn't like full on have a uh, like a new metal song over the credits. So it, 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 the time was right worse. for it to have had. I know. It gets new close. I know. Yeah, but that's um, the music you're talking about of the era. Yeah, they they just deploy it specifically for all the fuck the cop parts, and I I really enjoyed it. Not quite as a Witch, Book of Shadows level new metal but uh it's definitely <laughs> riffing i don't i i got this movie got under my skin a little more than i was expecting it to i also saw this movie back in 2002 and uh david and dave's stories on this podcast have reminded me of my experience seeing john q because this is a movie where i remember putting up the armrest and, uh, oh, I was going to ask if you ever successfully made out in a theater I and it was with two John Q. Definitely did some successful making out during John Q, of which I remembered none. And now watching again, I'm like, and David should feel this way too. Like, horrible about making out in front of this movie. Like, there's a lot of heavy shit going on. I should be. Weeping I mean, it's and... not quite. It's not quite <laughs> making out during Schindler's List. No, uh, it's but, there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that there's a version of this movie that, in hindsight, if I had paid been attention, mortally... my politics may have been slightly different or more attuned to like no. the shit going on in America but um I, got, I think if, if this I movie there's a version of this movie a much better version of this movie where I would be retroactively mortified to have made out through it uh if it were if it were better uh, if it commanded a little bit more respect this movie is you know a B movie at best in terms of you know what it is ta- like and it's taxonomy uh, but and its execution is right yeah be positive and its execution is much worse uh i think this is uh yeah i mean i think as as you know maybe ilza should have been paying more attention i'll say that but i i her politics probably veered a little bit more to the right need correcting but uh, as someone who is all for universal health care i think i you know, he was kind of preaching to the choir in this one, was Nick Cassavetes, so I was good. Nick Cassavetes goes from John Q to directing The Notebook. Does Nick Cassavetes sure does. have a bizarre career? How did he get on this track? He was, he, was, he was making hits. John Q was also a huge hit. It made money. It was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Denzel Washington, from that period, I think, could open anything, anything. really. He should open The Notebook. People, people should watch John Q. I'm, I think so. It was I'm interested to know. Yeah, it does, I mean, well, if you have on, that nostalgia for this I didn't period, make out and with want my to wife like once remember during John Q this time. <laughs> yeah, that's some, yeah, yeah. Well, missed opportunity. Not, not a great endorsement for John Q. It is not the aphrodisiac <laughs> that I remember it being. <laughs> <laughs> well, John Q is available on HBO Max. If you uh, decide you want to give it a run. Uh, Maybe by the time you're listening, this is just called Max, and maybe it's not on there. But give it, give it a look. If we sound, uh, if we've interested you uh, beyond the possibility of making out, which again, sure, all of these movies you can make out during. <laughs> I guess is is the truly conclusion. if you're de- if you're determined enough, you can make out during anything, and we That's encourage true. you to. Also, uh, justice for Patches standing up for himself, and I'm I'm still a little unclear about. If the theater was across from the mall, why didn't you guys just get together and go to the mall? I wasn't allowed to go to the mall. Oh! I wasn't allowed to just go to the mall. No, what, what does but, that mean, to go to the mall? My parents couldn't yeah, understand. Yeah, what would you be why doing just going, going out to the, the mall? mall? I don't know. You'll have to ask my parents. Maybe I will someday.
think that's gonna do it for this finally episode 425 after many uh 424 decimal points we've successfully quarter quelled before we sign off tell the people where they could find more of your work i am matt patches i actually got a promotion i'm now the executive editor of polygon hey, hey congratulations hey. i'm running on all uh, i'm on twitter at mr patches letterbox at patches we have a website fightingintheworm.com you can listen to all the old quarter quills as dave teased we've done many now uh and we came up with that name and then the Hunger Games <laughs> stole it from us. I don't know what's up with that. And they'll mm -hmm. do it again this year. When the, Did you guys know there's another Hunger Games movie coming out in the year 2023? A prequel? I do. Oh, like I do. I do. Song of... The snakes are in there somewhere. Snakes and snozberries. Uh, that's happening. But yeah, we've been doing this for a long time, and we have a lot of personal stories in these quarterquels, so I'm sure they're not embarrassing at all. <laughs> None of them, ever. Uh, David. Uh, yeah, I haven't done this in a while. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. I am the chief film critic for IndieWire. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find me on IndieWire writing about the movies. Um, what else? What else? What else? You can find us all together making out in the movie theaters and on iTunes and fighting in the war room. Go there. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on regular episodes of our show, not these freaky episodes like the one you're listening to now, but on the regular <laughs> ones. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com, especially if we accidentally talked about you this episode and you have different memories of it. I think that would be interesting. <laughs> uh, and you can also hear me on the Trial by Content podcast uh, where we're wrapping up our Nick Cage month uh, this week and next week with more Nick Cage. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where this week we did something or another. I'm sure I should be able to remember what we recorded a podcast about yesterday, but I don't. Uh, I think we talked about Can, which I'm not going to, but listen to it anyway. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R. Or you're more than welcome to tell us your story of dates at the movies. Um, the more making out, the better. Say I, uh, Dave. Do I kick it back to you. Yeah, that that's 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 how we do it. Yeah. I, I, to quote to quote your children. Ah, we're done. <laughs> All right, we're done. We're done. We're done.